Song service has been great. As we begin our study this morning, I want to put a little disclaimer out there. I, I said that in February, the last part of the series of misused verses would be that, that verse, Matthew 18 and 20. And after that lesson, I'm going to blame it on Danny. He, he comes to me out in the back. He says, you can't end that series without talking about Matthew 19, 26. And I thought, okay, let's do it. Why not? And I will say, uh, you know, he said, there's, there's no other verse that's more misused than Matthew 19, 26. And after looking at it, I tend to agree, it's right up there with Philippians 4, 13. It's one that, that we, we see and we use and we take out of context. And I hope this morning we can see it and, and just be benefited from what it actually means. Because when we take it out of its context and we misuse it, we don't get the full value of it. So hopefully this morning we'll see that. Matthew 19 and verse 26 says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. That's a very uplifting verse. When we, when we look at that verse on face value, it's, it's so uplifting to us. Because just like Philippians 4.13, we can pull that out, out of context and we can apply it to our worldly desires. The things that we want in this life the things that are going to make us happy. You know, Philippians 4.13 is very similar. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. With God on my side, whatever it is, I can accomplish it. Now, I have no problem with saying we need to put our faith in God. We definitely do. And I have no problem saying that I think God is with us in the tough times and in the good times. And it, but I think when we take this verse and we apply it to things like I can accomplish the goal of getting this massive mansion because God's on my side. Or I can be the underdog and I can win the game because God's on my side. It's possible with God. It cheapens the meaning of what, God, what Jesus Christ is saying here when he says all things are possible. So I want to look at that this morning. I want to examine that. I want to do what we've done every other time. And I want to look at the context. And I want to see what is Jesus actually talking about when he says, with God, all things are possible. As we pick up in Matthew chapter 19, we really see just a, continua a continuation of Matthew chapter 18. And the last one we did was Matthew 18, verse 20. So we talked a little bit about that. But Jesus is continuing to talk to his disciples here. He's talking to him about a lot of things, and as he leaves Galilee, he's entering into Judea, and he still has a large crowd following him. And as he's going along with this crowd, he's approached by some Pharisees, and the Pharisees are trying to test him, and they ask him about this idea of divorce and marriage, trying to test him, trying to catch him in a fault, like they always did. But Jesus provides the answer, and he provides the right answer, just like he always does, and as he's talking to these disciples, his apostles are there. These parents bring these little babies to Jesus. They bring, he, they bring these babies to Jesus to be blessed by them. And these, these disciples see this, and they say, don't interrupt Jesus. Why are you, why are you bringing these babies to him right now? You see, they didn't really see the value in these children, but you know what? Jesus saw the value in these children. And in verse 14 of, of chapter 19, he says, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for such belongs to the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them 
and, he, and went away. So while these disciples are rebuking these parents for bringing these children, Jesus rebukes these disciples and says, don't hinder these children from coming to me. Don't prevent that from happening. You see, they didn't really see the value in these children. And it makes you wonder when he says that these belong in the kingdom. What's he talking about? Well, you don't have to go too far back where he mentioned children. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, he talks about children. And we see a quality that these children had that obviously these disciples had a problem with. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 3, he says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, you have a problem. And it's a problem that you have to turn away from. It's a problem that you have to fix. And then he tells us what that is. He says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They had a problem with pride. They needed to humble themselves. They needed to submit themselves to Jesus Christ and God and his word. But obviously, they still had a little bit of an issue with pride because they thought that Jesus talking to them was far more important than these children coming to Jesus. That was a big problem for them. And they, they rebuked those parents. And in turn, Jesus rebukes them. He says, don't hinder that from happening. Don't keep that from happening. But what I find is interesting here is that these disciples didn't see the children as very important at that time until Jesus obviously changed their way of thinking. But directly after this, we see another man comes to, to Jesus. And another thing I find interesting, and maybe it's just because Jesus just rebuked them for sending the, those children away, but this man comes and interrupts them also. And he approaches Jesus. But they don't rebuke him. They don't turn him away for whatever reason. But this is, who, this is the man that we call the rich young ruler. And I want to think about this man for just a few minutes. This guy was impressive. He was a pretty cool guy. I want to think about how impressive he was. First of all, he's young. I know a lot of young people. And there's some impressive young people, but young people have a lot to learn. They have a lot of life to live, right? Well, this guy has lived a lot, and he's gained a lot in his very short amount of time. He has, first of all, become a ruler at some point. For some reason, he's a ruler. So if you look at Luke 18 and verse 18, Luke's account of this calls him a ruler. So what that means is he's pretty high in society that surrounds him. People look up to him. He's probably got some power. Not only that, he's rich. As we'll read here in just a minute, says he has great possessions, which is why we call him the rich young ruler. But when you go on and you really think about who this guy is, what's more impressive to me is that the fact that he was rich, the fact that he was young, the fact that he was ruler, a ruler, he was still a pretty moral guy. He was a pretty good guy. And I think we see that as we read this account in Matthew 19, verse 16. He says, And behold, a man came to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter into life, if you will enter life, keep the commandments. So this man comes to Jesus and he says, What do I need to do to have eternal life? And he says, You've got to keep the commandments. Well, here's this guy's response. 
And maybe this is a little arrogant, but he says, he says, which ones? And Jesus goes on and he tells him. He says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor thy father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Maybe there's a little arrogance in there. But here's one thing that I don't see Jesus doing. I don't see Jesus pushing back on the fact that he's done a pretty good job at keeping these commandments. Not saying he's perfect. Not saying that he's done everything to the... He, he had some issues, but overall, Jesus wasn't afraid to tell somebody, hey, you need to fix this. And he didn't go and say, well, you talked back to your mom and dad last week. And he didn't say, you have a problem with adultery, did he? So overall, just from what I read, I would say he's probably a pretty moral guy. But I think he understands that he still has an issue. Not only does, does he understand that he has an issue, Jesus knows his heart, and Jesus knows that he has a big problem in his life. He says, what do I still lack? And Jesus tells him. He says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. So he says, here's your issue. You have this wealth. You have these riches. Here's what you need to do. Sell those things, give them to the poor, and follow me. In other words, leave those riches and dedicate yourself to living for me. Unfortunately, this man loved his riches. He loved them a lot. He loved them more than he loved the thought of entering into the kingdom. Because it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He was sad. He was sorrowful because those riches meant a whole lot. And that was a big ask. Honestly, if, if somebody was to say to you, this is how you enter, enter the kingdom, and they say, sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me, it's probably something you're going to have to consider for a little bit. But this man said, I'm walking away. I'm leaving. I'm not going to take you up on that offer, at least at this time. Now, think about the disciples here for just a second. And I, as we continue to read, we're going to see that this was a shock to them. That Jesus was going to allow this man to walk away. It was a shock to him. And he expands on the situation. And he tells, he tells his disciples exactly the problem. He says in Matthew 19, verse 23, he says, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. So what he says is, this man's rich, and it's going to be difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And think about that for just a second. In your mind, answer this question in your own mind, but why would it be so difficult for somebody who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven? In my opinion, my thought on this is the fact that having a lot of riches, having a lot of wealth, gives you a lot of opportunity to sin. There's a lot of temptation that comes with having those riches. There's a lot of things you can do. There's a lot of things you can participate in that you might not have the opportunity if you're not so rich. Not only that, having a lot of riches, having a lot of wealth, 
tends to lead you to focus more on your wealth than it does on Jesus Christ. And that was this man's problem. He wasn't willing to give up his wealth and focus on what he needed to because he loved his wealth. You know, if you look at Matthew chapter 6, Sermon on the Mount, you look at verses 19 through 34, Jesus dedicates a large amount of time talking about this. But we have to understand the thought process of these disciples that he's talking to. We have to understand what's going through their mind. But also the Jews as a whole. These people didn't necessarily see wealth as a problem, as a potential issue. In fact, looking at Scripture, I think you could say that many of these people saw wealth as a direct correlation in how well they observed the law and how well they were as as a follower of God. And maybe it comes from verses like Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Maybe they do what we do, and we pull things out of context, and we let it apply to ourselves. Maybe that's what they did. But you look at Deuteronomy 8, verse 18, he says, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Maybe this is it. Maybe they looked at that and they say, it's our Father who gives us the power to get wealth. And yes, God gives us the ability to go out and work, to earn money, to save that money. He gives us the capacity to make smart choices with that wealth. But it would be easy to look at that and say, I'm doing pretty good because God has blessed me with all of this wealth. And forget this idea that it's not about using the wealth to serve ourselves, but it should be about using the wealth to serve God. You know, these people had, and we'll see, these people, their attitude towards wealth was an issue and it was a problem for a lot of them. And I think it's still a problem for us today. It's an issue that we have to learn to live with. It's something that we have to learn to correct in our own lives a lot of times. Going back to Matthew chapter 6, Verses 19, again, Jesus takes some time to talk about this idea. He talks about the ideas of not placing our treasures on things of this world, but instead placing our treasures on things of this earth. And you get to verse 24, and we see the problem with wealth. Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You see, the problem is not money. The problem is not possessions. The problem is not wealth. The problem is our attitude towards that wealth. That's the issue. It's the fact that we have a hard time having that wealth and not focusing our whole life on gaining more of it to serve our worldly needs and our worldly desires. But you know, Jesus goes on and he talks about the stress and the anxiety of trusting in our wealth, in our riches. He talks a lot about that. And he reassures them that if you're willing to trust in God and not in your riches, then he's going to take care of you. He talks about taking care of the lilies of the fields and the birds of the air. Won't he take care of you also? But this was also obviously an issue that many of these people had. First Timothy talks about this also. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Notice he doesn't say 
The money is the root of all kinds of evil. He's saying it's the love of money. It's the attitude. It's the mindset. It's the focus that we put on those riches. That's a problem. It's a problem that I think we still have a problem with today. We see examples of how, how, these, how people at this time treated those who were wealthy. You look at James chapter 2. In James chapter 2 and verse 1, he says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there or sit it down at my feet. Have you then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? They had a problem with being partial to people who had wealth because they held them in high regard. Possibly because they correlated that idea of wealth with the idea of being a good servant to God. You know, we look at wealthy people in our society today and we place them on a pedestal, don't we? What about that rich athlete or that rich, that, that wealthy entertainer or that rich politician? Many in our society will do whatever those people say. Why? Not because they have good ideas, but because they're powerful and they're wealthy. And it makes you wonder if maybe these disciples saw this rich young ruler they say, he's got it going on. He's pretty wealthy, and overall, he's a moral guy. But now they see Jesus turning him away, basically. Well, Jesus isn't. He's, turn, he's making the choice to walk away. But Jesus takes it one step further, and he expands more on this idea. In verse 24, he says, Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Think about that for a second. In verse 23, he said, it is very difficult for a rich man. Now he's saying, it's easier for that camel. And when we think about a camel, the camel is probably the largest animal that these people are familiar with at that time. The eye of the needle is probably one of the smallest things that they're familiar with at this time. And what he's saying, it's going to be easier to fit that camel through that eye of the needle than it is for that rich young ruler to enter the kingdom of heaven, or really for any person who loves their riches. He's saying it's it's impossible. It's not going to happen. It can't happen. And this astonished these disciples. In verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished. It blew their mind. They couldn't process this. All of these beliefs, all of these thoughts that they probably thought for forever are just unraveling. Think about who this includes. Think about the Pharisees. The Jews saw the Pharisees as the religious elite. But you look at Luke chapter 16 and verse 14. What does it say about these Pharisees? It says they were lovers of money. They had the same issue as that rich young ruler. They had a problem. They couldn't save themselves. They had no hope on their own. They had no hope. 
And then you've got this rich young ruler who's obviously a pretty impressive guy, and he's in trouble. In the eyes of the disciples, this rich young ruler could have probably been a powerful ally. You think about, as we talked about in Matthew chapter 18, when we talk about the disciples, when we talk about the apostles, they had a worldly view. Their view that was Jesus was going to establish a worldly kingdom. Can you imagine how beneficial, how much of an ally a rich young ruler might be in establishing a worldly kingdom? And yet Jesus is just letting him walk away. Their minds are blown. They don't get it. They don't understand. And we see the question that they have. They say, who can be saved? And I don't think they're really asking this question here. This is more rhetorical in the idea that they're saying, if that guy can't be saved, then nobody can. If that guy can't make it, then who can? Talk about a shot to the gut, right? If he can't make it, there's no way I'm making it. And that leads to the verse and the reason we're talking about this today. Because Jesus is never one to leave people without hope. Never. Again, Jesus has just essentially pronounced damnation on society's most influential members. On the Pharisees, on this rich young ruler. On many others who had wealth. But what does he say? He says, But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That's hope. That's hope for the hopeless. When the impossible becomes possible, I think of of Abraham. When Abraham and Sarah were up in age and God tells them, You're going to have a child, what did they do? They thought it was impossible. But you know what God told them in Genesis 18 and verse 14? He said, is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah, Jeremiah 37 or 32 and verse 17, speaking to God's creation and what he's done. You know what Jeremiah says about God? He says, nothing is too hard for you. And the same thing applies to that rich young ruler. It's impossible on his own. But with God, it's not impossible. It's impossible for him to save himself, but with God, it's not. And the fact is, is we cannot save ourselves. There's nothing I can do on my accord, on on my own, that's going to forgive myself, to cleanse me of my sin. Nothing. Nothing I can do. Absolutely nothing. It's impossible for me to be forgiven of my sins when it's just me. I think of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter two, Paul talking to Gentiles at this time and Gentiles at one point were separated and that's what he says here. He says, remember that you were at at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. There was a time when these Gentiles had no hope. It was impossible for them 
But in chapter one, you know what, you know what Paul said? He talks about Christ in verse seven. He says, in him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and sight making known to, to us the mystery of his will according to the purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. What was once impossible for you Gentiles is now possible through Jesus Christ. What was once impossible for a rich young ruler is now possible through Jesus Christ. What's impossible for a Pharisee is now impossible for Jesus Christ. What was impossible for each one of us is now possible through Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's what Matthew 19, 26 is about. The possible, the impossible made possible through Jesus Christ. Matthew 20, 28, he says, even the son of man who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many, as a ransom for each one of us sitting here this morning. Salvation comes through God who sees our failures, who sees our inability to live without sin, who sees our struggle of putting Him first and making Him number one in our life. Salvation comes through His Son, Jesus Christ. You know, I think back to that rich young ruler. I think back to the fact that he made a choice to walk away. And as far as I know, we know nothing else about this guy. But it wasn't long after that that Jesus Christ made the decision to allow himself to be put on that cross, to be beaten, to be spit upon, to die, to be buried, to be resurrected, and I hope that man heard. I hope he heard the gospel and I hope he understood. I hope he had that opportunity to know that Jesus Christ died for his sin. I don't know if he did. I hope he did. I hope he came to his senses. But what it was going to come down to was this idea that he was going to have to change his mindset. If he did have that opportunity, he would have to change his mindset. He would have to stop focusing on getting more and more riches to serve himself and instead focus on serving the God who sent his only son to die on the cross. Hopefully he made that choice. Hopefully he had that opportunity to go from a worldly viewpoint of living for himself and instead dedicating himself to living for God. And I think this is why when we see a misinterpretation of Matthew 19 and 26 and we see that verse used to talk about how great it's gonna be and how possible it is for me to get this massive house or this new car. Hopefully we see that when we do that, we belittle what's being said here. When we take it and we apply it to our worldly needs, we decrease the value of that verse because that verse is all about the salvation that Jesus died for, for every one of us. That's what it's about. That's what Matthew 19 and verse 26 is all about. Salvation through Jesus Christ. So I want to go back and I want to think about 
this question that these disciples asked. They said, who can be saved? Who can be saved? You don't have to look very far to find a man who was in a very similar situation who probably wasn't as cool as the rich young ruler. Zacchaeus is that guy. We know he was a short guy. If you remember that song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Remember that? He was a little guy, right? But he was a rich guy. He was a tax collector, and he took money from people in a way that wasn't probably very moral, but he had a lot of money. But you know what Zacchaeus did? He realized he had a problem. He realized he had an issue. He realized that his wealth was a problem for him. But he also knew where to, where to find the solution to that problem, and that was Jesus Christ. So Zacchaeus hears that, that Jesus is coming to town. And Zacchaeus, being the wee little guy that he was, he has a, he's a problem solver also. And you know what he does? He knows the path that Jesus is coming in. He goes and he finds a sycamore tree. He scurries on up and he waits for Jesus. And as Jesus walks by, Jesus looks up and he sees Zacchaeus in this tree. I can, all, I can see it. Jesus sees Zacchaeus. And I don't know, maybe Jesus, I mean, Jesus knows his heart, but I can only imagine saying, what's he doing up there? But Jesus sees him and he says, come down. I'm going to stay at your house. So they go to his house and we see the conversation that they have. And here's what Zacchaeus says in verse 8 of Luke 19. He says, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus knew his issue. Zacchaeus knew his problem. Zacchaeus knew where to find relief from that problem. And he made the change. He changed his, his view from a worldly viewpoint, a worldly mindset, and he put that focus on Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus said to him that day? He said, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house because of his willingness to give up the worldly desires and focus on Christ and focus on God instead. The rich young ruler could have done the same thing. What was once impossible for Zacchaeus was possible through Jesus Christ. And I'm here to say this morning that what was once impossible for us is, is possible through Jesus Christ. The fact is, is when we look at Jesus and his teaching here, he's focusing on this idea of wealth hindering salvation. There's no question about that. And maybe we have an issue with that, maybe we don't, but I can say honestly that each one of us have some kind of issue. At some point in our life, we've been separated from God because of something that we were a part of, something we were seeking, something that we were following, Maybe it was money. Maybe it is money. Maybe it's a search for fame. Maybe it's a search for entertainment. Maybe it's popularity. Maybe it's a sin that we just struggle with. The problem is, is on our own, we have no hope. There's nothing we can do about that in and of ourselves. 
But that's why Matthew 19, 26 is so important because what's impossible for us is possible through God. What's impossible for us is possible through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins. That's what this is all about. And if you're here this morning and you have not obeyed the gospel, you have not taken that opportunity to be buried with him in baptism, don't put it off. He's inviting you. He's calling you. He wants you to be a part of his kingdom. Outside of you obeying that gospel and following his will, there's no hope. But because Jesus Christ died, was buried, and was resurrected that day, we can have that hope. And we can help you with that. We can help you with that process of of obeying the, the gospel, hearing that word, believing it, repenting of our sins, changing our lives just like Zacchaeus did. Confessing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and being buried with him in baptism. We, we go down, we die to our old man, and we're raised a new creature. You can have that opportunity today, and I encourage you to do that this morning. But maybe you're here and you've already obeyed the gospel, and you just need the prayers of the church. For whatever reason, we would love to help you with that also. If you'll come to the front as we stand and sing.